Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the roller coaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching in Clubland, we speak to Adam Contessa. Adam played 45 games for the Western Bulldogs from 1997 to 2001 in what was a very strong era for the Doggies under Terry Wallace. After his playing career, Adams forged a successful career as a coach in local footy in a variety of roles with Bandura, Airport West, Pascavale and Sunshine. Aside from his 25-plus year association with football, Adam was also an outstanding cricketer, winning two Paxino medals as the best player in the senior division of the VTCA. Staggeringly, Adam has been part of 14 premiership teams, 8 in footy and 6 in cricket. That's not a bad strike rate. Ads can often be seen wearing his Paxino medals and showing his doggies YouTube highlights to the Arable Club boys while they're knocking off their meals on a Thursday night after training. I only joking, Ads. In our chat with Adam, we talk about successful culture, the importance of preparation and planning as a coach, and how to manage opportunities for fringe players. This episode is proudly brought to you by Technique Matt. To be the best batsman you can be, visit techniquematt.com.au for more info and follow Technique Matt on Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast, Adam Contessa. G'day, Mitch. Thanks for having me, mate. Great to have you on, mate. Last night, the Doggies didn't put up a, a great performance against the Demons. What's your take, mate? Yeah, it was pretty disappointing and pretty unlike them, I think. I think Melbourne came out a little bit hungrier and the Dogs just didn't seem to play their brand of footy. Played slow, backwards, sideways, you know, not, not giving their forwards a chance. And, you know, Melbourne have got a pretty strong defence and I think we played into their hands. And skill errors that that really hurt us. You know, three or four highlighted that kicking across across the ground, across goal, simple errors that that Melbourne converted from. And I think their first six goals, I think six were from dogs' turnovers, which has been a strength of theirs. Their fast play, quick movement, flicking the ball around, and they just didn't give their forwards a chance. I think I think in the last quarter they they took the game on, but I think it was a little bit too late by then. And how do you compare Melbourne's ball movement? You know, they've brought in Mark Williams the last sort of six months and they've really seemed to sharpen up their ball movement and he's got a, you know, a big focus on skill acquisition and ball use. Um, how do you compare the two teams with their ball movement last night? Oh, I think they were polar opposites last night. I think that if you look at the talent on both lists, they've both got very talented, skilled, highly skilled midfields. I think that last night Melbourne, Melbourne executed a lot better than the dogs. I think that, as I said earlier, the dogs were down on on their sort of brand and their style and played slow, chipping around sideways. Where Melbourne were more direct, you know, gave their forwards like McDonald, Wiedemann kicked two in in a minute, I suppose, but just gave them the opportunity by getting the ball in quick and, you know, really kicking to their advantage. The dogs just sort of played into Melbourne's hands, I felt, by uh, letting them get numbers back and zone off and, you know, the Levers and the Mays, who, who that's their strength. We, we just played into their hands. And I don't know whether it was a tactic to try and, you know, shift their defence and try and stop that. But I think by slowing that game down and getting it backwards, it gave them a greater opportunity to set up. 
Now, Ads, moving to your own playing coaching career, just doing some background on you, you know, the amount of premierships that you've won, uh, both, you know, before your AFL career uh, in the reserves and then obviously with your coaching career too, and your cricket with the Arable Club Cricket Club and Royal Park Brunswick. What's the, what's the premiership count, mate? How many have you got under your belt? I'm pretty anal with stats and stuff like that. From 1994, footy and cricket, I've had 16 grand finals for 14 wins. Eight footy wins and two losses and, and six zip with cricket. So pretty lucky in that sense. You're playing a team sport. The ultimate goal in team sport is, is winning premierships and being fortunate enough. Whether that's been right time, right place, whether it's been hard work, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's been, been thoroughly enjoyable, that's for sure. No, I've played senior cricket for 20 years and yet to register a flag. I was pretty fortunate in the junior footy and cricket that we had some really successful teams. But since I've uh, turned to senior cricket, it's been a bit of a barren run. So I'm pretty jealous right here, mate. It's, uh, that's that's got to be a good feeling, particularly when you catch up with those blokes you've won flags with and have those premiership reunions, uh, which would be fairly frequent, I'd suggest. Something you'd be really proud of, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think I look at it, you know, I played in the under-18 TAC system in 94 and then went to North Melbourne and, and the first two years they won reserves premierships. So sort of 16, 17, 18, I'm playing grand final day at the MCG and, and was lucky enough to win, win all three and sort of thought, how easy is this? But, you know, from 98, it was a pretty dry run. It wasn't until 2011 that I actually got my next footy premiership. You know, it's, it's probably probably a good learning learning curve for me that you know and you hear a lot of sports people say it that they play playing one early and, and think how easy is this how good's that and, and they might not see might not even get an opportunity to get that again and and I think I was lucky enough that I had those opportunities and probably you know didn't take them for granted individually when they came along later in my career. Uh, now as you've coached across a range of footy clubs and cricket clubs at local level what do you think some of the key ingredients are to running a successful program at that level? I think at, at any sporting level, I think first and foremost is, you know, the buy-in from the players. I think if you don't have any play, if you don't have the right mix of players that are willing to do everything for the team, then you don't play them or you move them on because, you know, as I said, I've been lucky enough to play in some successful local, you know, higher level teams. And the one thing that, you know, was was a common thread with all those sides was we had a really tight, united team and, and we were mates. We were, we were all good, tight mates. And it wasn't just the talent laddered, laddered side that, you know, just were expected to win because, you know, we had all the best players. You know, I, I played in some of those grand finals that we probably weren't the most talented side on paper or, you know, by name. But what we had over those other sides was a, was an edge that, you know, when push came to shove, you knew that you had 21 mates at footy or other 10 mates at cricket right by your side and, and weren't prepared to let you down. So big thing for me is is that buy-in, you know, and that, that's a starting point. I think when you play local sport at, at any sort of high level, whether that be senior football or cricket, generally most of the players have got the talent. You know, they, they know how to bat and bowl, they know how to kick and mark and whatnot. Then finding the balance of, well, what's going to make us successful? You know, and I think that comes with, you know, a, a range of different aspects. It's obviously hard work is is a, a big key ingredient to that. But I think also another one is, is the standards that are set by leaders within those clubs. 
And, you know, I can only speak from sort of my experience and my journey. And, you know, I know as a 17-year-old kid, I walked into an AFL system at North Melbourne and I was still in high school and I was getting dropped off by mum. But the first training session I went to, you know, I'm just watching these senior players at, at North, you know, Wayne Carey and Anthony Stevens and Glenn Archer and, and just watching the way that they go about it and just wanting to emulate them. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to walk into a side that had really strong leaders, you know, talented players, but we're in a successful side. And those younger guys coming through that system, it, it was easy for us to, to understand what was required. I don't think that changes it at any level of sport. You get the right leaders involved as well and set the right standards. And generally those leaders are your most talented people anyway. So sometimes, you know, not everyone's a, a Gary Ablett senior of the world that can just rely on going out there and being a freak. There's been many a sports person that have tried that and not put in the work and, and haven't made it, you know, and, and it's not a, a common thread there that, you know, that's, that's the way you go about it. But, you know, you get the right people in there that are doing the hard work, you know, setting the standards that it's pretty easy as a young, as a young bloke, a new person into a club to sort of follow those leads. And when it comes to coaching local footy, what's the ideal balance, do you think, between strategy, tactics and opposition analysis? And that's the real, I think, strength of yours, as opposed to the motivational, you know, play for the jumper mentality. It's, look, it's one thing that, that I'm pretty anal on is sort of the, the homework, particularly opposition. And I think that was from, from a young age again, you know, I, look, I probably wasn't the most gifted footballer, you know, and as a junior probably played in sides where I was better than most kids and my talent got me to where I got to. And then all of a sudden came up against, you know, guys that were as good or better than me. And I had to work out, well, how, how can I be better than these guys? So one thing for me, and, and again, I was lucky enough at Bulldogs in particular to do a lot of, you know, video analysis with, with assistant coaches. And what that taught me was, you know, the, the intricacies of, of opposition players of who I was going to play on. And, and I needed that, you know, I couldn't just go out and, and play on a Wayne Carey and beat him. You know, I was playing on the sort of small forwards who on their day could damage you in five, 10 minutes. And I really needed to study them and work out what, what made them tick, what, what their strengths were, which way did they move? You know, how did opposition players counter them how you know if someone did a good job on on a player I was playing on what did they do well so for me I was I was really big on that as a player and you know I I know that at local level that does not happen enough you know we used to get the old VHS tapes back in the day and you might have played on two or three potential players coming up against Essendon as an example and I remember watching and studying these tapes of players so that I could work out if the ball is coming in this way, which way are they going to move? What do they do? How do I counter that? I remember, you know, Mark Mercury as an example. And Merckx was probably the, one of, if not the toughest players I played on because one of his strengths was his aerial ability. You know, for just on six-footer, just under six-footer, you know, he marked the ball like a centre-half forward. And when he was playing good footy, he was taking 10, 10 12 marks as a sort of half-forward. And I, I'd, you know, study tapes to, to work out, well, how do I stop that? How do I counter that? Watch other players. How did they beat him? And block his run, you know, take a bit of body and just shift him off the ball. If I just allowed him on pure talent to fly for the ball and I just tried to spoil, nine times out of 10, I was probably going to get beat. So for me, you know, that opposition, uh, you know, analysis is, is huge. 
you know, and I, I went down uh, and watched the local game a couple of weeks ago, Strathmore Pasco Vale, and and I watched you know, one of the Strathmore guys off half back, who's a raking left foot kick, and and again the sort of the coach in me came out again and said, you know, watch this. This guy every time turns on his left, sets him up, and the opposition players just allowed him every time to roll onto his left foot. And to me, that was – they just didn't do their homework on that. And as, as small as those things are, but they may have been able to push him on his right foot, force turnover three or four times for the high, whole game, and that might result in eight differential in the inside 50s. You know, you're taking four off them and, and rebounding it four times, and that might be the, the difference in a game. You know, it's one thing I think that at local level that can get a hell of a lot better. At a, at a high-level sport, at AFL level, you're in the club six days a week and, you know, you, you've got the ability to do all that stuff. Where at local footy, you know, the coach gets them for two days, two nights, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. And it's then... It's really up to that individual and the want in them to, to actually want to get better. And I don't think that because a lot of these people haven't had that as a resource, they don't really understand how vital and how important it is. Yeah, I think that's the coach in me coming out. And that, that stemmed from, as I said, being a player. But with strategy and tactics, I think the, the one thing is to, to really be clear. You know, and I look at my coaching, you know, my first senior coaching role, I I was at Airport West and I had Daniel Harris from North Melbourne and Simon Wiggins from Carlton as my assistants. And I remember sitting down at Harrow's house one Sunday and I reckon we were there for four or five hours planning and preparing our pre-season and just sort of brought a bit of North, brought a bit of Carlton, brought a bit of Bulldogs in and how are we going to go about it? And we went to our first training session and we basically had to tear up all that work because what we had known and what we had been taught over sort of seven, eight years minimum at, at AFL level, these guys weren't weren't aware of. So we really had to go back to the basics, the crawl before you can walk sort of mentality that if we'd gone in with all our tactics and strategies and all this, we we're just going to overload them and confuse them. So I think it's it's really important to be basic and clear and progress from those steps. Once we, we tick off one of the boxes, move on to the next. But you need that balance of, of not confusing the players. Let them go about their game but keep it basic to three or four basic messages that, that they can understand. Speaking about confusion, I guess, you know, with your playing career, you played 45 games with the Doggies from 97 to 2001. And, you know, being in and out of the side, do you think that from a match committee perspective and, and with, you know, Terry Wallace at the time, that you got enough feedback and you had enough role clarity as to what was expected of you game to game? Yeah, look, that that is one thing that, I can't complain about that. And it was a big sort of learning and, and development phase of my football career is that that had really started to come into the game. And, you know, I walked into the Dogs in 97. You know, they'd come off a real lean year, 96. Big change at the club with name, with board, new coach, all that sort of stuff. And there was a hunger there. And, you know, it was probably one of the toughest pre-seasons I've ever done in what was the toughest pre-season but again that was the standard and that was the learnings that you know new guys young guys had walking into this club and all of a sudden they they started to click and started to gel and that you know 97 98 dogs team of two preliminary losses it was really tough to break into was I getting the feedback yeah I was and was I getting the extra work put in with assistance you know with video analysis and all that yeah I was you know, it was just one of those, I suppose, right time, right place, wrong time, wrong place sort of thing. 
I won the reserves best and fairest in both of those years. So I was playing pretty decent, consistent footy. But I also had to understand that so were the senior team. And, you know, I think at one stage they might have been 12 and 2 sitting on top of the ladder. And I had to push out the likes of Scotty West, Jose Romero, Libba. And when these guys were playing good footy and the team was winning, well, it was pretty tough. And I really, I had to bide my time. So from that, you know, and I was playing majority in the midfield in the twos. And I remember, I'll never forget the day. And it's always, as a kid, you, you dream of playing footy, but it's always sort of out of, out of reach, out of grasp. And, you know, am I ever going to make it? And I remember one day, I just always thought I was just going to play twos footy. And that was my sort of pinnacle. And Phil Malin, who was an assistant at the Dogs, came up to me one, one day at training and, and said to me, he said, hey, mate, look, you're, you're pretty close. You know, I've thrown your name up at match committee the last couple of weeks. And, and I was shocked. I was playing pretty good footy, as I said, but still didn't think that it was going to happen. But what happened from there was, but we think that for you to come into the senior team, you need to change your role. And we need you to play more as a, as a small back, you know. So go away from getting 30 touches in the twos because you're not pushing out, you know, seven times best and fairest Scotty West and Brownlow medalist Libra at the moment because they're going all right. We know that you can play that role. What you need to do is bring another part of your game to the table and that was we want you to play sort of half back back pocket play on these small small forwards and and work on defending them but providing some some run so you know as a kid I never played in the back line in my life so I you know really took that craft up and learned that as a you know 19 20 year old but I, I never pictured myself as playing AFL footy as a back pocket that I suppose came from you know the coaches identifying you know we want to try and get this guy into the side but how and where is that position for him? You know, and I think that's that's the same at any level now at local sport. You know, and I know towards the end of my cricket career there that, you know, I was playing and batting down at eight or nine because that was my role in the side. And I think the big thing with that is just accepting it. Everyone wants to be the, the gun sentiment and everyone wants to be the key forward kicking all the goals. But sometimes you've just got to realise that if you want to be part of a, a team part of achieving a certain goal that sometimes, you know, you need to to look at other avenues at how you're going to achieve that. I suppose, you know, the feedback and 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 whatnot from those senior coaches made me change. I, I wouldn't have said to them, how about you play me in the back pocket or the halfback in the reserves because I want to play senior footy in the back line. And I think when players do play at the level below and you, you're giving them an indication of what's needed to force their way in, trying to replicate that role that they could play in the first, you know, is really important. We speak about that from a cricket context where, you know, you and I, Ads, uh, we're working together to try and, you know, move Yarraville Club Cricket Club forward and uh, we're on a, a bit of a mission to, I guess, uh, get back in the top four this year. But players that are playing in our twos or, you know, threes and fours for that matter, we want to make sure that they're playing a similar roles to what they could be playing if they do get promoted. Uh, so I think that's transferable to, to all sports. Now, Ads, Tom Hafey labelled Kevin Sheedy as a, just a, a back pocket plumber. Hafey himself was a, a good ordinary player. Uh, you had others like Dennis Pagan, Alistair Clarkson that have won multiple premierships in the modern era. Why are some of the best coaches just run-of-the-mill players? It's a real, a real tough one, Mitch. I think, um, I think if you look, and again, I did a bit of homework on these guys just with their sort of careers and stats. And I think Sheedy is probably a little bit more than a run-of-the-mill player. 250 games, three premierships, best and fairest. Um, but those other guys, I think when you look at them, low hundreds and, and Hafey played 60-odd games. You know, if you look at all those guys, they were they were role players within their side. They weren't the superstar. 
They weren't your Gary Ablett. They weren't your Wayne Careys. They weren't these sort of guys. And I think, suppose you can almost throw Damien Hardwick into that for that matter. Halfback, flanker, Dower, Hard. Didn't get the accolades at Essendon and Port of being the number one man, but just knew his role, played his role. I think some of those traits as, as a player that, you know, they, they may have had to do it a little bit harder than some of these more talented, gifted players. You know, I know from myself, you know, that was something, you know, I, had to, I didn't get picked up through a draft. I had to go through the hard way. And I think that held me in good stead going forward because I really understood and appreciated, you know, the values and what was required to be successful. I wasn't handed anything and talent just got me to, to get to the point I wanted to be. And I don't know, with coaches as well, you look at some of these coaches and they're, they're a bit kooky. You know, I, I was lucky enough to play with with Alistair Clarkson for a year at North. He was my reserves captain in 95 and, and Dennis was the senior coach, although I didn't play senior footy under Dennis. But you look at Sheeds and you look at these sort of guys and, and they've always got something a little bit different about them. And again, I look at you know, I look at it at local sport when I watch players, and you're comparing comparing you know the top end talent, and I always judge the really good players on what are they able to do that no one else can do. Can they take a particular mark that that other guys can't do? You know, their their ability to win the ball is better than anyone I've ever seen. Or and, and I think these coaches must just have something that is just a little bit better because. You know, Ross Lyon was obviously a very good coach, but never got the ultimate success. I just don't know if it's them just getting the group and having the group just do everything possible that, that the coaches are asking. You know, I look at Mick Malthouse and, and his time at Collingwood and the players there speak of him so fondly at how they looked at him as a father figure. And, you know, was that a driving force in Collingwood winning the 2010 flag that, you know, this coach just had every player, you know, willing to walk over hot coals for him. It didn't matter because, you know, they had a, a drawn grand final, you know, and then and then won the next week against another very talented side. But what is it with these coaches that gets the best out of their players? You know, the four guys that you mentioned are unique in their own way. You know, I think they've all got their own special traits and intricacies that they, they do that, that can just get the best out of their groups. And a lot of people try and replicate that and, you know, model themselves around that. But I think as a coach, you need to be your own person. I think that if you're wanting to try and just copy everything of, you know, another successful coach, it's not going to work because it's not your natural, your natural instinct. You need to have your flavor to it, pick off these guys. And, and I've done that as a coach myself, learnt off the people that have, that have led me, but then you've got to go out and make your own path. You know, why aren't the best players the best co coaches? I don't know. I don't know if they've just been more talented as players and been able to just, you know, do their thing, but maybe not be able to get a message across and communicate better. And, you know, I think one thing is just really knowing your players and having a genuine care for your players. And that can really get the best out of, out of a team. You mentioned Melbourne. You know, Melbourne are a side that have gone from missing finals to sitting on top of the ladder 10 and 1. You know, they've brought in a guy like Mark Williams into their, you know, coaching panel who has been very successful as a coach himself, but understands, you know, the, the individuals and the players. And, you know, I think bringing him in to, to just sort of help Simon Goodwin, he may be bringing something that Goody isn't great at. And as a balance, that's just bringing the best out of, out of the group. I know that as a player myself, that there were certain times you couldn't approach the senior coach, but one of the assistant coaches you were more comfortable with and you 
you ended up resolving an issue or got the, you know, the answers that you needed. And I think just having that balance as, you know, coaches as an entire group is really important. You can't just be a ranter and raver. That might get the best out of a Tony Liberatore, but it doesn't work on a new young up-and-coming kid that, you know, expects everything sort of handed to him. And I think just on that, you know, a lot of the younger coaches in the AFL have done their level four and are really good at the empathy and relationship side of things. But when it comes to the the thinking outside the box, uh, that's where you probably your Choco Williams have, you know, strengths over some of the younger coaches. So I think in terms of constructing a coaching panel, you want to balance the skills so that, you know, you're catering for all players and, and you're getting maximum bang for buck. 100% I agree with that. And, and I know that, you know, looking at, at local level, you know, coaches that have applied for jobs, clubs that I've been at, you know, whether it be assistants, reserves coaches and, and all this sort of stuff. And they, they hand in resumes that, you know, when you actually look and read the resume, you sit there and think, mate, this guy should be coaching at AFL level with what they're saying and, you know, what what's on paper. But what's on paper to actually coaching game day is actually completely different. And, you know, I've sat there before and sort of said, look, mate, your resume reads great but right now I don't care about it and sort of toss it out and said, it's 10 minutes into the last quarter, you're three goals up, you're kicking against the breeze and your Ruckman's just gone off injured. What do you do? You know, if these guys are a bit, you know, stumped and, and don't know how to sort of be proactive on that, then you sort of sit there and go, well, all these coaching courses you do and, and all this stuff you've written down to me really means nothing. You need to actually know what to do in the moment because the coaching courses and I've done them, you know, and all the manuals and all the books and all that sort of stuff you can read, they don't prepare you for the 15 minute mark of the second quarter when something happens. All those journeys for each coach are are different. You know, there's not one that's the same. And, you know, I think it's really changed the modern day where everyone has to be accredited in a certain way and everybody needs to have these boxes ticked. And and it's sort of become very robotic and there isn't the old school bit hard and firm, you know, look you in the eye and give you a bake. That doesn't happen any anymore or not as much, you know, where back in the day, yeah, it probably wasn't the right thing, but there's, there's a time and a place for that as well. And I think as a coach that if you can bring that out at the right time, then you can get the right result. I think if you're just a runner and a raver all the time, it doesn't work. But on the flip side, you know, and I watch a lot of the, the AFL footy now and I sit there and, I think some of these senior coaches are too nice. They're too nice and they say the right things. And, you know, to get success, you know, you've got to be a bit ruthless and you've got to make some hard calls that people may not like, but you're not out there to, to, to make everyone happy. You're there as a coach to, to win, to win games of footy or cricket and have success. And I think that, you know, those coaches you mentioned earlier, I think they've got a really hard-nosed approach. I think if you look at them all as individual players, they were really tough hard players in their own right. And I think they bring that to the coaching when they need to bring it. They don't just, you know, yell and yell and scream all the time, but when it's required, they, they demand that of their players and, and they've been able to get that out of their players. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode. Just remember that if you're driving and you get in a bingle, praying or a scrape, make sure you contact Anthony at S&J Smash Repairs for all of your insurance and private work needs. Call him on 9357-9944 or visit www.sjsmash.com.au. Alrighty, let's get back to the interview. Now, Ads, you've you built a pretty formidable resume coaching in a range of local clubs and doing really well with them. Was there ever a stage or is there still a stage where you'd like to have a crack at, you know, a higher level, whether, you know, an AFL club comes calling with a 
development role or something along those lines? I'm, I'm probably not as driven to be going to seek out and, and achieve something like that. If someone came knocking and, and there was an opportunity, I'd, I'd definitely look at it. But the one thing I know and having friends who have been in these sort of roles is, is the commitment that is required. And I suppose when I sort of cut my teeth in the coaching ranks, I sort of just started my own family. And a mate of mine, Todd Curley, was was an assistant coach at Fremantle when Mark Harvey was there. And Curls had a young family and, and particularly being an interstate side, he was away from his family a hell of a lot. And, and I've been lucky enough to sort of spend a, a lot of time with my boys who are now, you know, nine and 12. You've got to be prepared to give that up to, to go to that next level, as opposed to being a football or wanting to be a football player where anything and everything else didn't matter. That was it. And that hasn't been sort of my aspiration with coaching. You know, the boys are getting a little bit older now and it may look a little bit different in a couple of years if if things went down that sort of pathway. But again, you know, you're a long time out of the system as well and you've got to be up to speed and there's always new new generation of people coming out of the system that, you know, are looking to get into the coaching ranks. But you, look, you never say never. I know that a couple of boys when I was coaching early at Airport West, you know, Daniel Harris, he was one that really tried to push me to go and look to go the next level. But as I said, at that time, I had a a six-month-old and a three-year-old, and I just wasn't prepared to give that up to go. And and look, it's a ruthless, cutthroat industry. You know, there's not too many that go in as development coaches, assistant coaches, and and make a 25-year career out of it. You know, you look at it and you go, well, yeah, it's great. I'm going to give up all this, but is what I'm going to achieve, or is it going to be sustainable? You know, is it, am I going to be in a system, you know, for 18 months, two years, or is it going to be five years, seven, eight years, and it's really going to set me up off field with, with the family and stuff? But it, the, the thing is, it's a big time commitment and it's suited to a guy that either doesn't have a, have a family himself or has kids that are older and sort of moved on and they're doing their own thing. But, you know, my, my weekends are, filled up now with you know Friday night footy training Saturday morning basketball Sunday you know junior footy and I know that if you get into a system that your team may play on Friday night like the dogs did last night you're spending Saturday watching another team and Sunday flying somewhere else and watching another team so you know it's a real tough one because because of the time it takes away from from the family. Uh, Very relatable to my own experience too I've got a two-year-old and a four-month-old and since the boys came along your priorities certainly shift. Uh, I think prior to that, you know, coaching as well as work and and the uh, the cheese and kisses as well. But you know that, that's everything. But yeah, once your your family starts to grow, I think your priorities tend to shift. Now, adds I guess the final question I've got for you, and it's really relatable to what you and I and Michael O'Keefe Tocker are doing together, and a cast of thousands. I guess we've got plenty of coaches on board at Yarraville Club Cricket Club next summer. We're going through a bit of a rebuilding phase. We lost blokes like yourself and. Uh, Emmett Bronca, uh, Will Sheridan, uh, Andy Cullen's back, which is awesome. But, you know, a bit of a turnover of the list. What are some of the challenges that we've got ahead of us and some things that we need to rectify to, to get back in the top four? Oh, I think going back to, to what I mentioned earlier, I think it's really ensuring that, you know, and we had a really young list this year, but um, we've been lucky enough to, to add some sort of high-end talent to the list, which that in itself is going to go a long way provided 
as I said earlier, that our buy-in, our strategies and all that, everybody's, you know, willing to to do it for the team. But again, I think it's really important that that we as leaders, as coaches, and the leaders on field, your more talented, experienced players are really setting the right standards. Because, you know, as I said, I can only speak from my experience, but as a 17-year-old kid in high school walking into an AFL club, I, I did whatever these guys were doing. And I wanted to do whatever these guys were doing. And I think if we've got leaders there that are cutting corners and, and just taking the easy way out, not working too hard, that'll stem through to these young guys and new guys coming into the club and guys that have been at other clubs and maybe really talented players. If they walk into a Yarraville club and, and see the standards that are set, they might sit there and say, I've never sort of been involved in something like this. I really need to lift my game and it may take them to a new level. I think we're lucky enough now that, that we've got some people there with their own sort of individual experiences and they're all, all different that can also, you know, help with the technical side of it. And, and when I say technical side, I think it's it's all facets of the game. It's not just batting, bowling, fielding. I think it's the mental side of it, the the preparation. And you know, I was I was a big one as a as a coach at cricket that, you know, fitness to me was a huge one. And I remember when I was coaching at Royal Park that you know it was such a struggle to get guys pre-season doing a bit of bit of running and and getting that you know the workload under their belt and it doesn't the hard work and all the preparation everything you put in over a pre-season it still doesn't guarantee that you're successful you know but at least if you've done that you can tick it off and say well you know I've done everything right everything possible I wasn't beaten because these guys had had worked harder than me I know that at local level that's not it's not really looked upon from the individual as a high priority. It's let's have another net. I need to work on my batting. I need to work on my batting. But, you know, maybe part of an individual's game is when it's 34 degrees and they've batted for 15 overs that they just get a bit tired and a bit lazy and make an error. And the game's over then for them. And I remember not long ago bumping into one of the, the guys at Royal Park who could not run a lap if he tried, he was a uni student. You know, I was the big bad wolf making him run on a, you know, cold Tuesday night. And this guy now runs marathons for fun. And I sort of sit there and look at him and he says, he goes, I totally understand what you were trying to do back then. But as a young bloke, I was naive and just, to me, it was just social. And I wanted to be good and make runs and have success, but I didn't want to put in the work. And he knows that now as a, as a 40 year old, what it takes and what's required. And you know, I think from my point of view, it, that's a really good learning curve as well that I can pass that on to younger guys and say, hey, listen, here's a story of old Johnny who didn't want to and didn't think it was important that this part of the game is going to help my batting, my bowling, etc." I think that these kids now can, can have that there with the guys that are the leaders at the club now passing that on and, and really, you know, making the path for them and sort of guiding them. And that's all we can do now is, you know, from our experiences and our learnings is to pass on our knowledge on, you know, what we think works, what's right, what's wrong, and, and hope that these guys take the most of it and, and make the most of it. It's, it's an exciting time for the club. Uh, plenty of opportunities. I think we'll be a bit stronger. Uh, expectations certainly internally will be a little bit higher on our playing group and look forward to driving that with you, mate. Thanks for your time this afternoon and uh, I'll catch you in a few weeks. You'll be... Uh, Tossing up some throwdowns to me, mate, and uh, looking after me in the nets.
No problems at all, mate. Glad to be on. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching Clubland. A shout out to the talented Aidan Arandes for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.